Hey, welcome to The Dad Complex. I'm Jonathan Silva, and today I have my friend Tom Couture on. He's a father of five and a mortgage loan officer at Texas Tech Federal Credit Union here in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, we've been friends for a couple of years, and uh, he's really been someone that I've looked up to and, and admired and, and respected uh, both professionally and as a father. So I'm excited to have him on and have this conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. Tom, welcome uh, to the podcast. It's called The Dad Complex. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So, Tom, to um, we've known each other for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. You are a dad to one girl and right. four boys. Right. And I say girl and boys, but really it's woman yes. and men. Women and men. Yeah. The oldest one is 40 and the youngest one is 28. That's crazy, man. <laughs> and, and everybody's doing like... I'm excited to have you on because I've, most of the people that I've had on so far, we've all had young children uh, yeah and you have adult children right and they're all from what i can tell are all very successful in, in what they're doing mm-hmm. yeah um been very lucky and it's wide ranging yeah. you've got a super talented creative um and i would even say like philanthrop- philanthropist yes yeah and jeremy my youngest yep and then yep. um and then i personally also know david right he's a very successful yep. realtor, realtor. Yep. Um, and then I don't know your other two kids. So my daughter, who's the oldest, she is uh, an executive at a big mortgage company in Austin. Oh, okay. So she's quite successful, and she's a single mom. She has a 14-year-old boy. And then David's the next one. And then Jeff is a youth pastor. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and he and his wife just moved from Hobbs, New Mexico, down to Austin, and they're starting a church. Nice. And they have uh, an 11 year old boy, a nine year old boy, and a seven year old boy. Man. Yeah. And then uh, Greg is the next one. And he, okay, you ready for this? Uh-huh. He is now my boss. Wow. Because he just got promoted at, at the credit union to the manager of the entire mortgage department. And so I tell people all the time, now I'm having to pay for all the spankings that I gave out when he was little. But, Dude, there's like a uh, few, quite a few different topics then that I, like, <laughs> now I'm like, okay, we, we got a lot to touch on here. Uh, yeah. Um, but okay, so to, to, to clarify, you are a mortgage loan officer, loan officer mm-hmm. at Texas Tech Federal Credit Union. Correct. Yep. Um, we have done business together twice, mm-hmm. hopefully again very, very yeah. soon. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of you. I'm a huge fan of your team. Oh, thanks. Um, huge fan of your personality. And I've always enjoyed like running into you. Yeah. Because it, you have this like infectious smile and oh, just wow. this like personality that's warming. Yeah. Well, I have to say that that's the same about you. I've, I've said to more than one person, I love Jonathan and Kate just because you both. I remember we closed that first uh-huh. loan. At, I can't remember where we were, but it wasn't a title company. Was it in the house? Yeah, we were at the house. Yes. Yeah. And uh-huh. I just remember that was the first time I met Kate. And I remember just feeling like. It was my home that I was walking into because of you guys. Yeah, that was a super personal experience. That was really mm-hmm. cool. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed it as well. Do you have any other ventures or any other like things that, I mean, I know that that takes up a lot of your time. Well, so it's interesting because just over the last uh, four or five years, I've gotten into being coached in my business mm-hmm. and I've fallen in love with the concept. So I'm branching out a little bit into doing some coaching and some mentoring, which just lights me up. It, I love it. That's cool. And so is that, are you looking more towards within the financial realm or no, life coaching in general? Pretty much life coaching because organically I've had, now I have five different people that call me every single month. One of them is a resident doctor. One of them's an insurance guy. One of them is in the mortgage business. So it's just, yeah. And it's more about life stuff. Man, I'm going to have to start calling you more. <laughs> Just don't charge me for it. Okay. Yeah, I'm not charging anybody at the moment, so. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll figure it out. So where are you from originally? I was born and raised in Montpelier, Vermont. So that's the capital city of Vermont. It's a town of 8,000 people. Mm-hmm. I grew up in the house that my mother grew up in and my grandmother grew up in and my great-grandfather grew up in and my great-great-grandfather built. Wow. So it's like. 250 years old and um and then when i got married i moved up the street into a house about 10 doors up the street so until i was 28 i never lived or did anything except for a little town in vermont wow. then i moved to lubbock texas 
Why? <laughs> and I love Lubbock. I don't mean why in a yeah. negative way, but, like, but it's a I big, also it love... It's a big thing. Well, I, I knew some people here uh, through both business connections. Back then, everything was done on the phone. Rolodex. You know? Yeah, yeah, Rolodex and phone, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't own an old Rolodex anymore, I promise. I have learned <laughs> to be in the 21st century. But, um, and then some people through a church that I knew. Okay. And there just came an opportunity here that was back in those days, which was the... Uh, 84, I guess, when I moved mm -hmm. here, 85. The um, uh, industry in Vermont wasn't very lucrative, and no. I got the opportunity for a job here at, at uh, Plains when it was a small little bank back in the 80s, and it was double the pay, so I just picked up and moved. <laughs> and I'm sure much cheaper to live here oh, much. than Vermont even yes. then. Yeah, and uh, Mary, my um, former wife, she had lived in the Southwest before, so it was no big deal for her. It was a huge shock for me. Yeah, that's <laughs> but, crazy. And it's funny, so it's cold outside right now, and I uh, let you in. I was like, dude, I'm so sorry for letting, you know, <laughs> making you wait outside. Um, and you're like, ah, this isn't cold. No, it wasn't cold. <laughs> the wind's a little bit nippy, but because um, yeah. you don't get that up in the Northeast. But right. I mean, we lived through 35 and 40 below zero every night of the month of January when we were kids. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> there are two places for, for Kate and I. Um, that we would absolutely move to not, not anymore. Not, not that since tadpole has started. Mm -hmm. Um, but we've always wanted to move to like Massachusetts. Yep. We, we love Boston. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. would live there in a second. And then like, as far as like similar lifestyles and, but, but different would be Kansas city. Oh yeah. Um, I love Kansas city. Yeah. Great barbecue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, so when you moved to Lubbock, did, were you childless? You were married. Mm -hmm. no, uh, my daughter was two and a half and David, uh, the realtor was, um, a baby. So what was that? How did like being a father factor into your decision to move? Well, just because I knew, and at the time their mom didn't work, she stayed home with them. And, um, I just knew that we needed some more economics to be able to raise kids. And we didn't at the time know we were going to end up having five. That was yeah. a little bit of an interesting thing because, we just had the one girl and Mary wanted another girl and it kept being a boy. And finally, <laughs> finally, after number five, I said, there's no more. <laughs> wow. That's so funny. Yeah. So no, it was mostly because of economics and wanting to be not that Montpelier was a great place to raise kids, but, um, we knew people here a little, a few people here and knew that this was a great place to raise kids too. Yeah. Was there ever a point like after you moved here that you thought, uh, especially after you got maybe a little bit less naive that you're like, oh, that was a really dumb decision. No, but we, but there was a three year period of time that we moved back up to the Northeast mm -hmm. in upstate New York, right up on the St. Lawrence river. And, uh, it was more just because of missing family. Yeah. And I kept my job here and worked remote. I was probably one of the very first remote workers ever. That's insane. Yeah. Because, uh, when I went, the company I was working for at the time was uh, called McAfee Mortgage. And mm -hmm. when I went to the owners and said, we're moving, uh, they, they said, well, you're not giving up your job. We'll figure out a way to do it from up there. Because wow. at that time, I was in more in administrative stuff. Yeah. So, man, let me tell you, we went through a lot of fax machine paper. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Because like, I, I have no, I, you know, I, I grew up. I mean, I, I remember times before cell phones, and mm. I remember the big cell phones. Yep. <laughs> um, and we still had tons of family friends, and, and our family still had the, the, I don't even know what they're called, the rotating oh, rota dial. Rotary phone. Rotary phone, yeah. 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 Um, but I have never, like, experienced what life was like without email. Yeah. Like, you know, understanding oh, yeah. what email was. Well, um, uh, just give you a little, the, the way that I found the job here, Mm -hmm. was because I was at a company up there and we, just like you do now, we bought and sold loans, yeah. paper. And it was all done over the phone. I would call all over the country, community banks, and say, hey, you got any loans for me to buy today? And uh, one of them was Plains Capital here. And the lady on the other end here that sold the loans was going to retire. And because I knew the business, I'd been in the business about eight years by then, um, I was a great candidate for that job. So, but yeah, I remember the days, and you're going to laugh at this, but we had paper in the typewriter that was five copies. There was a, a white copy, a yellow copy called Canary, uh -huh. a green copy, a pink copy, and an orange copy. 
and you did a loan application on the typewriter and if you messed it up you had to yank it out and put another one in and start over again yeah well and i know that like i've i've worked for a company previously where we had to order carbon copy yeah mm-hmm. all the time yeah and it's crazy yeah but today is a much better yeah it really process. is um and that even like working with companies that that still do carbon copy, it's funny because it, mm-hmm. it's a different. You know, they still use typesetters, and yeah, yeah, it's it's a different world, man. Yep, it is. Um, so your your career path really hasn't changed much over the like you you've stayed within. Financial. I got out, I got out of high school, and uh, for I don't know ten months or so worked in a supermarket, mm-hmm. and then this job came up at a uh, the mortgage department of a big life insurance company. So from then to now, I've only done mortgage in 47 years. Did you have kids after you had already started your career? Yes. Yep. Let's see. Um, first one was born in uh, 82. So I was probably five, six years into my career. When wow. She was born. Okay. Yep. So did you, what were struggles that you had when they were young and, and start, you know, I, not starting your career, but you know, your career is pretty demanding. Yeah. Well, and back then I was more in an administrative role, so it wasn't mm-hmm. quite as demanding. My, you know, now it's like we said uh, before, twenty four seven, just about. But um, so it was. It was actually mostly economic because uh, wages weren't very high up there, and yeah. um, and like I said, my uh, former wife didn't work outside the home. She worked at home, of course, <laughs> like any mother, but. Um, yeah, so it was more economic struggles, and that was really why I felt okay about picking up and moving. Believe me, my family, all of my siblings, and at the time my dad was uh, still alive, my mom was not, um, but uh, they did not like it because we all were, you know, just yeah, like, all there. yeah, and the story about all of us growing up in that five generation house, you know, mm-hmm. so they didn't like it that we were moving all the way to Texas, but it was the right thing for us to do. And, and I don't regret at all. I mean, Texas is home to all five of my kids because the two older ones don't remember living anywhere but Texas and the other ones were born here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I make this uh, point often now that like we have tadpole and we, we speak at tech often and I say all the, the fortunes that I have or all the like opportunities that uh, my family has had in, in our careers are honestly very directly correlated to being in Lubbock. Mm-hmm. The, yep. the experiences I've had professionally, um, I don't think would ever happen anywhere else yeah. in any other market. Yeah. Well, Lubbock is so relational. Yes. You know? So when you, you know, we opened up remarking about having a warm personality, you do that in this town and you, and people are drawn to you mm-hmm. and they want to do business with Tadpole because you and Kate and whoever else that's here makes them feel warm and welcome. Right. And you almost feel bad. And that's what I love about, about Lubbock and what I love about uh, people is that if you do a really good job, which is something you do, and I'd love to dive into that more um, in the way that you see your career I mean, what you do, but when you do a really good job and you take care of people and just do good and are genuine about what you're doing, Mm-hmm. You're gonna, you're going to be successful. Yeah. So even recently, that's come home to me a lot more because, and I won't go into a long story about it, but but you know, there's throughout the 1900s and into the 2000s, there's been different um, times in our economy and different ways of expressing economy and economics and whatnot. I mean, for instance, like from in the early 1900s, it's it was all about. Uh, inventions and, and, and creating things and industry and that's cars were invented all that right. well now I believe we're in something that I would call the purpose economy mm-hmm. and by that I mean people want now to know that you have their back that you're going to take care of them in in commerce they want that right they want that at home too they want that in their church they want that in their social circles but in commerce, people, especially younger people, value that uh, feeling that they're being taken care of. And mm-hmm. so I believe that the, the people that 
do that for others are going to be the ones that succeed in business going forward. Yeah, there's no like scheming anymore. Right. You know, and what's you know, I have a, a big stack of old life magazines mm-hmm. over there. Yep. And that, my my favorite advertisements from back then are like the cigarette ads. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and they make fun of quitters yep. in a lot of them. Yep. Like, uh, cigarette. You know. Lucky Strike cigarettes. Mm-hmm. They're not for quitters. Yeah, or, right, you know, right. Stuff like that. And it's so bold. And, and really, they're, they're, it's beautiful artwork. Believe me, I remember. Beautiful letters. <laughs> that was when I was a kid and, and growing up. And I mean, things come back to you. Like when you said Lucky Strike, I thought LSMFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. <laughs> Why is that still in my head at 65 years old? I That's don't know. That's so cool. Because I've never smoked a cigarette in my life. But. Yeah, but it was, it was good advertising, uh-huh. you know. But at the same time... A total lie. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. They knew that they, they were paying doctors, you yeah. know, like that. Yep. And uh, that doesn't work anymore. No, it doesn't. The, no, the, the big can't. schemes yeah. are like marking, you know, saying everything's on sale, but really it's the, the mm-hmm. same, you know, you look online and now you can find that that's not true. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, yeah. and, and I love this. Uh, that's what I love about marketing now is that it's, it's not even necessarily always about figuring out these great deals and, and doing this and, and putting spins on things. It's being able to tell a story of the business owners that are working right, hard. Right. that are Yeah. Um, Create a brand of who you are. And if people are drawn to who you are, they're going to want to do business with you. Mm-hmm. So um, we were talking about your family, mm-hmm. five generations. You're the first one to move away. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. What, what was it like growing up in, in, a, in a home like that? Oh, so it was great. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny, my um, my older brother and I were on the phone last night and we were talking about that. And uh, back in the 60s, it was different. Um, so I'm sure you're this way with your kids. I'm this way with my kids. I have a relationship with my kids. You know, now that they're adults, we're friends and maybe confidant, maybe, um, you know, advisor, mentor, but still friends. You know, I learn a lot from my kids. Back in the 60s, that wasn't the way it was. Mm-hmm. The way it was in the 60s was... Your parents fed you, clothed you, educated you, and sent you on your way. And what I was saying to my brother last night, because my my mom especially, she died quite young, but what what I remember from her, she knew tough love big time, you know? Yeah. And um, uh, I don't think we had that kind of a... Like, I don't ever remember having a talk with my mom or dad about my feelings or about what I was going through. It was just, you know, their, their business was to raise you, not, not befriend you. Right. Right. And so when I, uh, when I, and, and oh, and what I was going to say was my, I said to my brother last night, but you know, the odd thing about that was I don't never then nor now do I ever feel like I was unloved. I felt, we all felt loved right. somehow in that environment. And, um, it's just a difference in, you know, evolving and whatnot, I guess. But, um, but when I started having kids, I determined I was going to have a relationship with them that I wanted to be part of their life, not just make them part of my life. Were you the oddball, like in your, in your, within your colleagues, as far as the way that you parented? Um, maybe, um, I, I, I don't know for sure if I was the oddball. I just, I think that that was a time of transition. My kids were all born in the eighties. No, Jeremy was born in the early nineties, but eighties and nineties. And I think that we as a culture and a society kind of have evolved during that time a lot. You know, I grew up in the sixties and seventies and the hippies and the Vietnam war and, you know, and the world was going through some turmoil Mm -hmm. and we were just like, Hey, can, can I ride my bike downtown, Mom? You know, it was, yeah. you know, we didn't even know, really, that all that was going on. But now, in the age of Internet and, you know, 24-hour news cycles and all that, everybody knows everything. And I, if I could offer one piece of advice, it would be don't believe everything you hear and see on the TV. Yeah. Well, I'm, like, I'm, I'm genuinely surprised because I, do, I don't know too many dads in your generation. And I, maybe I just haven't talked to them enough that have that relationship, maybe more so girl dads than, than, than boy dads. But like, I don't, I don't necessarily, I love my dad and uh, we're cool, but we're not necessarily like yeah. tight. Well, you know, I'd have to say that I was intentional about that mm-hmm. because I, I guess even though I didn't feel unloved and I knew that I was loved and taken care of, I did 
sort of miss having, you know, that place where I could go and if something was bugging me or whatever, um, I could maybe talk to them. I, we just didn't have that. Yeah. And, um, and I was intentional about making sure that I made a place for my kids to have that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And you know, what's crazy is you're talking about your, your son being your boss now. I called my dad the other day because we had a, a really, we had, um, landed a, a, a client that to us was like, it was exciting. Yeah. It was like, yes. And, and we still get excited about every single client, but this one particular client was one that like came out of left field and they came to us and it was just really nice. like, okay, things are working. So anyways, I called them and I said, man, you know, something really cool happened and he doesn't really understand, um, understand it all. And, yeah. But, uh, I called them and I, I just, for whatever reason, I was feeling sentimental and I just said, you know, thank you for all the opportunities that you gave us. Like, I, uh, yeah. you know, we weren't ever rich. We we're very yep. you know, working class, um, uh, economically, yep. you know, like we, yep. we weren't, we never wanted, but they, they worked hard. Like my, my dad grew up very poor, um, in Mexico and he, he would steal stuff mm. to feed his family. Like he would, steal wow. food and he would um sell gum on the side of the street and shine shoes and you know they they really struggled um so i know that like as men or as as mothers and fathers our, our goal is always to want more mm-hmm. for our kids and provide yep. better for them and yep. that was our my conversation with him was thank you you know yeah. like if you've ne- if you ever felt like you didn't or whatever i just want you to know that like that's awesome i see that yeah i'm doing the same thing for my girls yeah You've obviously done it. You've done it super successfully. <laughs> Tried, yeah. I mean, <laughs> what was that like? Uh, but I mean, I guess you probably already saw it, so it's not like it was a surprise. But seeing your your son get that promotion, or or seeing um, David maybe sell his first house, mm-hmm. or Jeremy be so successful with the you know everything that he's doing, and uh, to be a full time musician is is also yeah, it's a feat. But it he's really doing is. it. Yeah, he is doing it, and he's doing well at it. Well, it's exciting. Um, back to what you said, you always want better for your kids than you ever had. Right. And I don't know that I really thought about that part consciously. Uh It just, I will say, even though there wasn't that, um, in my growing up, there wasn't that, uh, personal type relationship with my dad. He always modeled family values. You know, I mean, So there wasn't a whole lot to do. Sunday afternoon, he'd load us all in the station wagon and just take us for a drive, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, and we were like you. We didn't have a lot. I mean, I remember as a kid, my mother handing me his paycheck and making me go down to the bank downtown and cash it, and it was like less than $100 a week, yeah. you know? And he had five, six kids, you know? Uh, so uh, I say that... Um, I feel like I didn't really consciously think about, do I want to make sure my kids had more than I had? No, I think it was more like displaying those same family values and being, being there for them. One of the things that I think, if I had to give one piece of parenting advice that meant the most to me, it was this. When they were old enough to you know, be in school and have problems and do this and do that, I always, I don't know how I figured this out, but I did. When they don't want to talk about it, you can't force them to. Hmm. And when they do want to talk about it, you better be ready to listen, even if it's 1130 at night and you're dead tired. Yeah. And I think that, I think if you, if you interviewed all five of my kids right now, they would say that one thing, dad was always there to listen to us. Yeah. And, and I think that's what built relationship. And the, and then the other thing I always told them, and I, I'm sure you've heard this before. I don't even know where I picked this up. Heard from somebody. But I would tell them when they did something really, <laughs> there goes the cuss words, where I was going to say really fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> um, or when they did something really good, I would say to them, you know what? Because one, one of the things that my kids always laugh about is that if I ever pulled out the D word, disappointment, uh-huh. that was what melted them, you know, yeah. not the spankings. Anyway, I, so I would always say to him, look, there's not one thing in this world that you can do 
that would make me love you any more than I already do. Mm-hmm. And there's also not one thing in this world you could do that would make me love you any less than I already do. Yeah. And I think that acceptance mm-hmm. is probably the biggest key. You know, that doesn't mean you condone bad behavior. Right. Believe me, well, I was laughing earlier with you about paying for all the spankings I gave my, my now <laughs> current boss. But um, so you don't condone bad behavior. You correct bad behavior, but you still accept the person. You do that as an adult. Yeah. You know, somebody says something, does something, you have to forgive them. You don't just condemn them as a human. You just realize they just screwed up. You know? Yeah. And you have to do that with your kids, too, because that builds character. Well, it's interesting because, especially in today's world where the, you know, cancel culture yes. is like a thing. Yeah. Um, for better or worse, I mean, are, are there some people that shouldn't earn money, you know, off of their personality? Probably, you know. Yeah. Um, but has it gone a little too far? Maybe. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but, it feels like it has. And I think I see that more and more now where, like, people are writing off their, their parents or, like, mm. toxic parents. And I don't blame them. I mean, I think if you have a toxic relationship or something. Um, but on the other end of that, that's something that, as parents, that, that's never an option. Right. I don't think. Like, yep. to me, it, there really is nothing that my kids couldn't do mm-hmm. or could do that, that would make me say... Write them off, yeah. Yeah, or that would make me write them off. Yeah. Um, I could see it on reverse side because I... I do feel heavy responsibility of being a good example yeah. to them yeah. and being the type of man that, you know, I've got, I have two girls. So like being the type of man that I want them to marry or the type of man or people yep. that I want them to surround themselves sure. with. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's a ton of responsibility there, but. Well, but, and you know, one major principle in this world is that what you put out is what you get back. Mm. That's just, that applies to everything. So you're putting out that there's nothing that those girls could do that would make you write them off. And no matter what they go through as teenagers, because there'll be times when they hate you. Yeah. But no matter what they go through, they'll come back to not writing you off because that's what you did for them. Yeah. It's, it really makes sense. So when you were younger and, and building your career, we were talking earlier about how you've like, you're still working on stuff. You're still working on communication and like making sure you have the right team, team members in place to take care of your customers. What has being a, like if it has, maybe it hasn't, but has being a father affected the way that you do business or the way that you conduct yourself professionally? Um, that's really a good question. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe you have to think back further even. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of correlation between the two. I mean, obviously one much deeper because, you know, your kids are, you know, part of you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, actually yesterday I was at a, a retirement party for a good friend of mine at Citibank. And uh, his whole family, his kids and his wife and his grandkids were all over on one side. And then all the people that he'd affected in his career were over there. And he made the comment, he said, uh, he said, you're all just like family to me. I have to live with these over here, meaning his, his <laughs> flesh and blood family. Yeah. I don't have to live with you guys, but I like to. And I, I think that um, maybe that's the one thing about your question that is true is that, again, if you, if you value people, not just your customers, but your coworkers, mm-hmm. then, um, yeah, it's a little different than family, but it's almost some, it's a different um, flavor of family, I think, right. you know? And so, I mean, I don't know. I feel like whether it's your kids or your spouse or your coworkers or your customers, if you value people and, and strive to see the, the, the good stuff in them and the positive stuff in them, then at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether you made a mistake or whether you didn't meet their need or whether you whatever. If you value them, you'll always come back to working hard to do the best you can do. Because we're all going to fail at right. different things. So you got to, you know, you got to chalk it up to I did the best I could. Yeah. So what's it like? Um, you mentioned earlier that you're, you're not, you're um, no longer with your wife. Right. When did that happen? That was about 16 years ago. Jeremy was 12, and Greg, the one that I work with now, is 17, and the other three were on their own already. Yeah. Yeah. And what was that like, or how did that affect you? 
Wow, it was it was pretty devastating because I was uh, my idea was this is a lifetime thing, right? And mm-hmm. marriage, and um, so it felt a lot like a failure, really did. Um, and uh, I remember <laughs> there's you know we all have emotions, right? And mm-hmm. and as a man, you're not supposed to display them, and you're not supposed to show them, and all that. Well, I remember only like three times in my life where I cried uncontrollably and just, I I couldn't stop myself. And one of them was the day or the evening that I told my five kids that their mother and I were, were not going to be together anymore. Yeah. And even still gets me a little emotional, but, um, it was hard. It really was. It was, um, unfortunately it was a situation that wasn't, um, tenable any longer you know we'd worked and worked and worked to try to fix it and I don't need to obviously go into details on any of that but um and and now years later she and I you know when the kids are um having a birthday or the grandkids or whatever we we're to we can be together and do things together now it yeah. just we couldn't then <laughs> yeah do you think that there's any sort of like friendship now or is it still very like um, a, a very shallow friendship. Like we mm-hmm. don't have a, any in-depth discussion, but I have absolutely no angst about being, you know, with, with their mom when we do a family thing together or whatever. Yeah. But otherwise than those things, no, we never hang out together. Yeah. So my, my parents divorced when I was, um, I know we had Penelope. I can't remember exactly how old it was. Maybe like 22 and I remember on this side of it feeling like it was hard. I, yeah. I didn't want to take it. I remember when they called me and they told me I was so mad. I was just like, really? don't you think that you're going to bring anybody around my kids? Oh, wow. Like, yeah. do not, like, don't even try. I don't want to hear about it. I don't care. Like, I want y'all to be happy, but I want nothing to do with Wow, yeah. Whatever I it is. I hadn't thought about that. Because um, in our situation, neither one of us have remarried and and. People laugh at me because I say I'm the happiest single man on the planet. Yeah. <laughs> I do my thing. I do my life. I'm happy. I, if I want to, you know, if I wanted to just pick up this afternoon after this and go out of town and do whatever I want to do, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And that might sound a little selfish, but, and, and still very uh, dedicated and close to my kids, but I'm free to do what I want to do. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think for me, it was a thing where, um, at least in that moment, I was just mad and, and young and like still just kind of hard to understand because it, it came out of left field for me. Like I, I think we knew, and th- there was a time when I was younger and still living with my parents that I was like, oh, you know, you can kind of tell like something was off, but then never felt like that again until the day that they told us. And, yeah. Um, it was really strange, but. Uh, for me, it ended up being a really positive experience. One, the, the, they're they, you know, they're happy. My mom has, my mom's super happy um, with who she's with, and and I, I love the guy. I trust him, and um, the whole situation has ended up being really good for me as far as being a man and like being able to reflect on things that like, or uh, not not necessarily as man, but as a a spouse, as a partner, uh-huh. seeing things that like both of my parents did that I don't want to do. Right. You know, in, in, yeah. in my relationship with Kate and yeah. thankfully Kate's very vocal and opinionated, yeah. um, as much as I am. Yeah. So we, we have, you know, we communicate sometimes maybe not in the most healthy way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's life, <laughs> but we commu- at the end of the day, we communicate, you know, and I, I yeah. can't remember my parents ever fighting really, yeah. um, in front of us or having a discussion or having a disagreement. Um, and so we, as parents now, there's not a lot of hiding yeah. as far as our feelings between each other or whatever. Yeah. And not, our kids always know that we love each other and that mm-hmm. we're, you know, passionate um, about each other. But also they, they know that we're passionate. We can be passionately upset with each other. Yeah, too, right. right. You know? Which is, that is healthy for them to see, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure we modeled that so great <laughs> in my marriage. but Relationships are hard, though. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. and I, I, I think that it's a common misconception or like, you know, I remember when we got married and, and people were like, well, just get through the first three years or just get through the first five years. And then after that, it's like smooth sailing. Yeah. 
I mean, unless your life is the exact same yeah, right. and you have no ambition or anything like yeah. that, I could see that happening. Well, yeah, look at but, like the, going into the tadpole agency is a life changing event. And so it, of course it affects home. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but it seems like, well, off topic maybe, but it seems like you and Kate are very intentional about making sure that you make all those things work for your family and for your girls. Yeah, that's definitely the motivation to like, yeah. you know, when we have a crappy day, it's yeah. like, okay, but look at the big picture. Like today may yeah. be rough, but, you know, we have to wake up tomorrow like it wasn't. Right. And I, I think back to your question about how was it um, separating from my former wife, I was, it was really more difficult because of what my impression was of what it was going to do to the kids, even though three yeah. of them were young adults already. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more about that for me than it was about the loss. I mean, later I went through the whole thing about the loss of the relationship and my marriage and that sort of thing. But really, honestly, the thing that made me cry that night so much was how am I hurting my kids? Mm-hmm. You know, but it got to a point where there was nothing left to do. So it was like, okay, we got, so, so then I had to, and I know I've used this word several times, but I had to get intentional about figuring out how to help them through it. Yeah. Cause like you just said, it really was hard on you. I know it was hard on them. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, it's, you know, as a dad, I think even a, an adult, a dad of adult kids, I think it's very valuable for at least part of your first thought in any situation be what's going to benefit them or what's, what's going to hurt them or how can I help them? Because even today, I mean, my kids tell me things sometimes I'm like, I don't really want to hear that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, because they're that close to me, but, but, um, but I still, as adults, I'll give you a great example. My daughter. So, so, you know, as a guy, you know, whether it's your girls or whether it's Kate and they come to you with something and you, your first instinct is to fix it. Mm-hmm. I got to solve this problem. Right. Cause that's the way we're wired. And I, and my, my daughter's been through a few things, you know, um, with her 14 year old. And I started out that way, you know, went into parenting mode and you need to do this. And could you do that? And what about this? And she's, she's dad. I'm calling you just because you're a sounding board. You're somebody I can unload on. I don't want you to fix it. And so it was a life lesson for me, even as an adult child, not child, but offspring, to learn, wait a minute, you got to be what that person needs. You know, even with your kids, you got to figure out what are they looking for right now and don't force you on them. I don't even really know how to say it, but just be what they need at the time. And that's hard. You're like punching me in the heart right now. (laughs) I don't mean to. No, I mean, I need to hear it. Um, You know, as early as this morning, Kate was really frustrated. He was running late. And whenever I get stressed out, I have to look at things Uh black and white as much as I can. Yep. Like even, you know, like, like buying a house, I have to look at things as black and white as possible so yeah. that I don't stress out. Yep. Like it's either a yes or a no. <laughs> yeah. What what's next? Yeah. And uh yeah, I did that today. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we're, we're going to be late. It, it's fine. Yeah. Don't stress. Yeah. Like it is what it is. Yeah. And it's not necessarily always a right. I mean, it helps me, but it doesn't help everybody else. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I've learned too is that in those situations, the, the, our, our role is not to help me. I'm, I, you know, mm-hmm. when, like my daughter, when she's struggling with her, her 14-year-old and no dad around, because he doesn't have a dad in the picture at all. The dad vamoosed whenever he found out that my daughter was pregnant, and he's never been involved. And so in that situation, she wasn't looking for me to fix my grandson. She was looking for me to feel her pain and to help her get through, you know, love her and encourage her, not mm-hmm. fix her. So I think that, that's, that's hard as a guy. You just want to like, Hey, I got a toolbox. I might even have two toolboxes and I can fix this. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> man, that's deep. Um, 
I lost track. Sorry, I was just thinking about <laughs> what you're saying, man. Well, um, but speaking of your grandson, what is it like being a grandkid or a grand grandkid? I mean, I'm sure you kind of are a grandkid. <laughs> Probably more of a kid now than you were. Uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Well, what's it like being a grand a grandpa? And it's the best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right here. Well. And, you know, everybody says, when you say it's the best, the next line you hear is because you can give them back. No, Mm -hmm. no. It's the best because you can enjoy them. Like Greg's little guy is just turned a year old. Uh And I don't really remember experiencing with my own kids the joys of, like, uh, they sent me a video yesterday of him at um, uh, daycare. And there was music playing and all the kids were on the mat, you know, on the floor with the teacher in the daycare place. And, and Ollie is his name. And he was dancing, you know, sit, sit down dancing. And they were, and it was just, it made me giggle. It was just like, great. Right. And then as they get a little bit older, like David's two are Chase and Madison and they live here in town. So I see them every week. Yeah. And to get to actually sit down and talk to him. I mean, I was so busy as a young dad with 14-year-old and 11-year-old and whatever else. Um, it was hard to sit down and just talk to them. I made a point of doing it, but generally it was when they were struggling with something. But with the, with the grandkids, it's more like I get to hear about their life and what they were having fun doing at school or like Chase playing football or that sort of thing. So being a grand parent or at least a grandfather um because I, <laughs> I i make one distinction in grandparenting i tell my kids and i'm probably getting huge freaking trouble for this on a podcast but <laughs> but i tell my kids babysitting is a grandmother's job not a grandfather's job i will go pick them up i'll take them do here there whatever do things with them but you're not dropping them off at my house and not show back up for seven hours uh-uh. <laughs> that's yeah. funny well just because i like to this is probably one of my shortcomings i like to you know control my own um time and what i do you know that sort of thing so yeah. and i spend time with the grandkids all the time but i just you know i say don't ask me to babysit that's not my thing. Yeah. So anyway, but spending time with them, doing things, taking them someplace to do something they want to do, or, or just like every Sunday we get together, the ones that are here after, you know, early afternoon have either cook at the house or go out to eat, which mm. dad always pays, of course. Yeah. But, um, and just sitting there at the table and talking to them is, it's the best. Yeah. Do you have any favorites? Uh, no, because they might <laughs> listen to this. Here's here's what I do, and they've all caught on to me now. But I tell every single one of them that they're my favorite. Mm-hmm. And you know what's really weird about that? They don't care that I tell the other ones that they're my favorite. I don't yeah. know why. I don't know how, what the dynamic is there, but they love it. They just love hearing they're my favorite, even though they know I'm going to say it to every other one of them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I got that from Kate's dad too. He oh, does that. You? He yeah. did that to them or to Andrew and yeah and Kate. Uh, I don't know if I'm breaking the, if y'all know that. The guy code. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling y'all now. But he does that. And it, it does make you feel special, I Yeah, think. it does. And they don't care that it's not just them. Yeah. And, you know, even going back to, like, you wanting to control it all the time, you're really all over the place. I mean, I saw you the other night mm-hmm. at an event. Yep. <laughs> at 7 o'clock. Yep. Um, and then as you were living, you're like, oh, I got to go to this other thing. Yep. Like, uh, let's I talk have. soon. <laughs> um, but how do you, so, are like, are you... I think you're always on. Like every time I've seen you, you're a consistent personality. Mm-hmm. But how how do you wind down, or like is how do you wind up, or how do you wind and how do you wind down? I love wine. <laughs> so yeah. um, and this is probably not healthy, but I, I don't feel bad about it because it's only one. But almost every night, whatever time I get home, I'll sit down. Maybe turn the TV on, maybe not, but I'm really big into um, listening to podcasts. I'll listen to your podcast. Sweet. Or, okay. um, or self-development. I, I'm much better at listening to books and reading books, so I'll mm-hmm. listen to books, um, do that sort of So I'll sit down with one of those things for 30 minutes with a glass of wine almost every night, not every night. Yeah. And, um, and that's how I wind down, you know. Yeah. And then... Really, my my day starts early. I'm I'm in bed by ten o'clock, mm. but unless it's an event that you know, because 
almost every night of the week there's something. Yeah. But um but usually, you know, people laugh at me because I'm not the stay out late partier guy that, you know, but I'll show up at everything and I'll make sure that I, you know, say hi to people and 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 then um you know, while they're staying there till midnight doing whatever, partying, I'm I'm back home and I'm going to bed. Yeah. But I get up at five o'clock in the morning. So and that's what I was gonna ask you. So you're you're sixty? Five. Sixty five. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And earlier when we were talking, you said I'll, I'll never retire. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because I love what I do and I love being with people and I love helping people. It's my thing. And I, I'll probably not probably, I definitely will change you know yeah. what i do um i my 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 plan is to have my team at work so dialed in that they can handle all the day-to-day paperwork stuff and all that with the mortgage business so that i can handle relationships because mm-hmm. that's what lights me up yeah um, i've always been that way but i didn't have the freedom to to spend a lot of time at it earlier in life and so that's why I, in fact i was at lunch with one of my kids today and uh, I was telling him that I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, well, I got it all planned out. I'm, I'm going to, uh, cause someone we know recently, uh, was actually a sister-in-law of mine. Like she was perfectly healthy. She got, um, something wrong with her leg. She went to the doctor. She had some terrible cancer and five weeks later she was dead. Wow. 71 years old. And we were talking about that, and I said, oh, that's not for me. I've got this planned out. And I don't know if it'll work out this way, but I'm going to expect it. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to be 95 years old, perfectly healthy, and one night I'm going to bed, and the next morning you won't be able to get me on the phone because I will have peacefully died at night. And that's going to be the end of that. So I plan on another 30 good years. Yeah. (laughs) So back to your question, I don't want to just sit around and do nothing. Yeah. I don't want to be going 80 hours a week. Right. Forever. But I think I can be of a benefit to myself and to others um, along, for a long time. How do you, what's the secret to looking as good as you do at 65? Well, one thing is I better lose a little weight because I've gotten a little <laughs> fat. But um, uh, I don't know. I think because I, I've always attributed a lot of that to um, because I was clued into my kids, mm-hmm. it keeps them a younger mindset. You know, I mean, yeah. when they were little and when they were growing up and now that they're adults and they're grandkids, I, I'll give you one example. When the kids were growing up, people would ask me, what kind of music do you listen to? And I'd say, whatever lo- music my kids listen to, because I felt like if I had something like that, that I could, um, what's the word connect with them on, yeah. uh, that would keep me relevant in their lives. So I think that the only secret I can say is, well, you know, I've never abused myself, you know, drugs or cigarettes or any of that stuff, but I just keep in a younger mindset. I don't, I don't think, you know what, you're going to laugh at me, but (laughs) I I just don't even believe I'm 65 years old. I mean, I didn't believe it when you said it. I don't feel like it, you Uh know, now I don't feel as young and great looking as you but i mean i just don't feel like i'm 65 when my um grandparents were 65 i thought they were ancient of course different perspective because i was a kid but now i think oh my gosh wow i don't even think i don't know but uh, yeah i just think mindset has a lot to do with it and i work on that every single day yeah that's the first thing i do when i wake up in the morning there's also a really big difference between people that are connected and like o- openly or like have to actively work in, with within technology mm-hmm. opposed to people that don't have to work with oh, yeah. technology, right. I right. think. Yeah, I think you're right because it's always changing. You always got to learn. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think goes wrong with people that retire and just then they don't know what they're going to do with their life. Your brain slows down to the point where you're not in that mindset anymore and you start, you know, maybe... I don't know, maybe it's attitude, but things start going downhill. Yeah, you like know? you're not learning anymore. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with your physical well-being too. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, um, what's your best pro tip for being a dad um, and like growing a career at the same time? Well, I would have to say probably I didn't do this well as a younger dad, and so if you're a younger dad, listen to this, but... Um, 
be sure that you spend time focusing on the kids and your your marriage, hopefully too, um, while you're growing your career at the same time and understand that um, while your career is ultimately necessary so that you can you know raise your family and, and economically um, fund all the things that you need to fund for kids and, and your family. Well, that's so important, but it's not important enough to not have a relationship with your kids. So figure out a balance between those where you can, and it doesn't, it's not, you know, I don't think you have to spend 60 hours a week with your kids. Mm -hmm. I think you have to be there present when you're with them. So I, I mean, there was times in my life, in my younger life where I was working two jobs because we had to have that, um, extra income. And, but when I was with them, I was present. And I think that magnifies the, the effect of the time that you're with them. Maybe. Absolutely. I think. And so again, I think, and maybe, maybe you get one of my kids sitting on this couch and they'd, uh, I would be, uh, proven wrong. I don't know, but I think they would all tell you that when we were dad, dad's with us. Yeah. And I think that's probably my biggest pro tip. That's a good one, man. And I appreciate you coming on. And I do want to talk a few things, like just some shout outs. Um, so first of all, for all your mortgage loan needs, <laughs> yep. you're the man. Yeah, well, thank you. you know? Yes, I love doing that. You've got a great team. And I, yeah. I do, uh, I've personally worked with Kelly Prayer on your team. Mm-hmm. Prayer, yep. prior. Prayer. Prayer. Um, she's phenomenal. Yes, she she's is. a sweetheart. Um, yep. Always on top of it. Um, and so, and I've really enjoyed working with you on, on mortgages in the past. So I hope that, you know, any listeners would consider working with you. Yeah, uh, thank you. Before anybody else. I would love that. I, I love doing that. One of my joys in life is helping um, people in that space realize or achieve their dream of owning a home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you've done it for us. And <laughs> um, in, in dream homes. So like homes that we're super proud of. Um, but then, so David's a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. David, and I think I've said your name's like your name, your last name, <laughs> a few different ways. Yeah. How do you pronounce your last well, name? Well, the right way to pronounce it is the way Jeremy does, couture. Uh huh. It's a French word. Uh huh. But when I when we moved here to Texas, West Texans couldn't say that, and so we kind of acquiesced to couture. Couture. <laughs> so I'll answer to anything, but yeah, the right way to pronounce it is couture. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So David Couture. Yep. And he is a real estate agent. I'm sure you can Facebook him and find him. Yep, Taylor Reed Agency and uh, with uh, Lindsey Bartley. Okay. And uh, yeah, he does very well. He's a good guy. And someone who I recently connected with, and um, I saw him perform a, a while ago um, with the full band, and he was playing. He was playing a cover of a song that I really love, and he was just killing it. And the, Jeremy has swag. Yeah, he does. That dude has an unnerving (laughs) amount of swag. And um, just, that's just what it is. Like, he has his own style, I think. Oh, yeah. uh, As far as fashion and just personality and and everything. He's a very unique personality. He's definitely your kid as far as looks. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But he's a very unique person. But above all, like, the, the dude's got swag, he's got confidence, and he's got the talent and skill to back yep. every part of it up. Yep. Um, so I know this is something you sponsor, and, and the way we met him was you were telling us about it. We got to sponsor it. Yep. Um, but the, the Lubbock Live Lubbock Music Live. Festival, yep. um, which is doing incredible things for our community. It is, yeah. Um, this year, um, he just announced that he was able to raise, and this is after all the bills were paid for the event, and it's mm. kind of it costs a lot. Uh, yeah. I remember um, a year... I'll, uh, almost two years ago now, I had to have some major surgery and the kids came over, you know, when I got home from the hospital and, and stayed with me and he came and spent one night. And the next morning when we both woke up, he came in and sat in my room. I have a, a recliner in my room besides the bed. Anyway, he sat down and he starts telling me all this stuff he had put together for this Lubbock Live Festival. Yeah. And I was like, who are you and what have you done with Jeremy? Because <laughs> I mean, it was all business stuff and he had, yeah. it, he had it all like he had a board of directors and he had a 501 C three at all. Anyway, long story, but 
Yeah, he just announced that he donated um, $13,000 to, I, I'll say the name wrong, but East Lubbock. East Art, Lubbock Art House. Art House, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is really cool. I had never heard of the East Lubbock Art House <clears throat> until I ta- spoke with Jeremy. And um, we're actually hoping to do some other things with them as oh, Tadpole. Um, but uh, what a really, really cool charity and, and super needed in our community. He, um, the, the origin of that was when he got out of, he, he studied music at Texas Tech. And when he got out of college and started in the music community here in Lubbock, he realized how much talent there is in Lubbock. And, and his whole thing was he wanted to showcase local talent. Mm-hmm. And then he got the idea, well, we could do that and raise money for some, some good causes. So yeah. he's going to keep doing it, and I'm very proud of him. Well, and I mean, it, it's, it's been incredible, and I think it's only going to grow over the years. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he, he, it's not like, first of all, Lubbock has a ton of great, artists mm-hmm. um, over time. I mean, huge artists, huge musicians that have, that have um, just made huge impacts, honestly, on, on the world. Yep. Um, and if people aren't familiar with that side of Lubbock, I mean, yeah. Lubbock really has been pumping out some incredible musicians for the past... 70 se- years. Yeah, 70 yeah. years. <laughs> um, beyond Buddy Holly. Yeah. Uh, but Lubbock Live, at least so far, has featured... Artists that I would say ninety percent of the community do do not know. Right, and that was his vision to, mm-hmm. to start showcasing them so the community would learn about them. Yeah, and so to get to raise that much money and pay off all the the funds and, and what it mm-hmm. actually takes to make it happen, um, I mean that, that that really is a huge feat. Yep, um, yep. he's and, doing a great job. Yeah, he's doing an incredible job, and and it's, as you can tell it's very, it's a very selfless. Well, thing. he has passion about it. That's what drives him. Yeah. You know, music is his passion. I remember back to the point of he and his mother and I um, uh, divorcing. Uh, when he was a junior in college, he had to write a an essay on uh, why he loved music. All the kids had to do it. And he brought it home to me because he lived with me until his senior year. And then he moved out finally. But uh, well, I said that like it was. But anyway. Um <laughs> He handed me that essay and I read it and the whole thing was about how how music got him through the pain. And so that's why he has passion about it because it was his salvation when his world was falling apart. Yeah. How did and, and I, I I know like we we need this is going pretty long. <laughs> but how did you um I grew up in music and I had supportive parents. Thankfully, um, they didn't necessarily have funds to support me that way, but they, they were like, cool, yeah, go do, go do what you want to do. Um, what was that like fostering that? And, and well, it was a little bit hard financially because his um, degree is in cello performance. And I don't know if you know, but cellos are not cheap. Mm-mm. And uh, he had a fairly cheap one. And then his professor at Tech called me and said, we need to find Jeremy a better cello because he's outplaying that cello that yeah. he had. And so I had to sort of hawk my life back then to, to <laughs> buy him a cello. So it was a little bit hard that way, but never a sacrifice really because I saw what it was for him, what, what it did for him. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably easier too when it, when it, I mean, maybe not when it's classical music and it, yeah. it's like really beautiful opposed yeah. to like, Oh yeah, you know, well, I came home and my parents was like rock music and yeah. Well, and when it was when he was thirteen, it wasn't beautiful, but <laughs> as he got older, it was. But yeah. yeah, yeah, man. Well, it's really cool, and, and Tom, I I really appreciate you for coming out, man. Oh my uh, gosh, well, thank you. It's, I know we've been needing to just resync for a long time. Yeah. So this was cool, and I'm glad I got to know you well, better. Same here. I like I told you earlier. I don't know. So you and I actually met at the West Texas Home Builders Association on that golf um, tournament committee. And we had to go to, was it Cardinals or wherever, and pick out gifts. And that was when I sort of, I hope this doesn't sound weird, but that's when I fell in love with with you because I just saw what a great spirit you have. No, it was really cool, man. I was honestly really, um, I was nervous. Yeah, to, to meet you there because I was like, oh, I gotta go to Academy with this guy, oh, Academy, and I don't know yeah. what we're gonna talk about, and what if he's like rude? Like he probably doesn't even want to do this either, or whatever, you know. And, and you were super welcoming, and, and immediately like asked about, um, you know, you were like interested in me, and, and yeah. it, like just opened up this really great conversation. 
Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really cool. And like I said, you have an, like a, a personality that is just a, attracting, you know, you, you exude a really good, yeah. um, well, it's awesome. And Bye. thank you so much for having me. I mean, it's, it's kind of an honor to uh, be part of this just because I think your vision for this is going to grow just like you were talking about, Jeremy. Yeah, I hope so. It, it'll be cool. And I, I know that there's other, you know, dads, and I'm sure you, you experienced this when you were a young dad, or it's like, I, it's hard to talk to men mm-hmm. or it's hard to make friends with, with other dads. Um, yep. And it, I, sometimes it's just good to to. to go into something knowing that it's going to, what it's going to be, knowing yep. that you're going to have maybe a tough conversation or a deep conversation, but yep. ask questions that are, you know, genuine questions. Yep, exactly. So, anyways, well, thank you for joining me on the dad complex. Um, we, this episode and the season really, or whatever you want to call it, we're, we're presented by Monomyth. And so that nice. Uh, I know we, we talked about it when you came in. Have you been there yet? I have. I love that place. It, it's yep. so cool. I love the building. And and the bench out front. I don't know if they put that there or it was there. Not that that concrete bench with the tile on it. It's yeah. the coolest looking thing it's right really there on the cool. street. <laughs> really, really cool. Yep. Um, but anyways, cool. Awesome. Uh, thank you for, for joining me. Thank you. We'll talk soon. All right. All right.